And welcome to Shift F1, a podcast about speedy race cars. I am Drew Scanlon. Uh, Danny O'Dwyer is still out with his child. Uh, congratulations again to him and his wife. Uh, but I've got a ringer waiting in the wings. His name, Rob Zachney. Please welcome from Waypoint. How you doing, Rob? Hey, everybody. Thanks for having me on, Drew. Uh, I um, had listened to the Waypoint podcast for uh, a long time, but finally got to meet you uh, during E3 when I was down there for Giant Bomb stuff uh, and learned that you are uh, (laughs) not only share an interest in weird um, flying games and military games, but also in Formula One. I wonder if there's something to that, that Venn diagram there. Yeah, I think it might be an unhealthy fascination with cool hardware, uh, irrespective of like what it actually signifies. Uh, but yeah, uh, Formula One has been something that I've basically grown up with and um, have slowly tried to get all my friends into to varying degrees of success. Yeah, I, I I'm right there with you. I think I've, I've I've had some people that just totally bounce off it, but like a lot of people do take to it, uh, which is I think probably why. Uh, you know, this this podcast continues to grow and that we've stuck around doing it. Um, so how long have you been watching F1? Uh, probably since 1997, I want to say, maybe 1998. Wow. Okay. Um, so basically, like, what I can tell you is I just missed the Senna era. Like, I remember okay. when, uh, you know, Senna was killed uh, because I followed IndyCar more during those days. And so it was, like, big enough news in the racing world that uh, Senna's passing uh, was sort of worldwide news. And I think that was what got my, my father curious about Formula One because it was the first time we'd ever seen, like, international mourning for motorsports, like, star. Like, even when, uh, like, Jim Clark passed in 70, 69? Uh, maybe 67. I think it was 67. Even when he passed, um, like, it just wasn't the same sort of thing. And so that got my father, like, thinking... Boy, there must be something to this uh, to this Formula One thing. Nigel Mansell had just come over, I think, to IndyCar around that time as well, uh, and so we just kind of wanted to see what open wheel racing was like in Europe, which is where it was mostly centered back then. But for me, what got me into racing was um, so, like I said, we watched a lot of IndyCar, and it's how I ended up really falling in love with with, with racing was um, there was this IndyCar driver named Alonzo Jr. Mm-hmm. But his nickname was Little Al because Alonzo Sr. was like a legendary racer in his own right. And so Alonzo Jr., Little Al. Well, when you're like five or six years old, there being a race car driver that everyone's just calling like Little Al or Little Anything, you immediately <laughs> identify with that with that guy, right? You're like, oh, it's a kid. Oh, like, interesting. That's, that's me. That's me. And He's so, the like, son of somebody like I am. Yeah. And so that became like enormously powerful for me. But... Then he has this epic duel at the Indy 500 with um, Emerson Fittipaldi, another Formula, mm. uh, another former Formula One champion, and like this is a legendary duel they have into the last few laps, and I think it like lap 198 out of 200. Is that what it is? Um, little Al and Emerson Fittipaldi touch wheels, and Al goes into the wall at full speed and loses the race. Fittipaldi wins and I was just gutted and like just just absolutely inconsolable but <laughs> by the end of the experience I was like well I gotta see what happens next for a little while uh, so I got really into IndyCar and what sort of changed my allegiances was um, I was starting to get interested in Formula One but then the IndyCar IRL split happened um, mm-hmm. where Tony George basically severs the connection between uh, CART and IndyCar Racing as it had been known and Indianapolis Motor Speedway and creates the Indy Racing League and basically kills, like, he delivers a body blow to CART Racing, to IndyCar, and then he creates a racing league that was almost like XFL quality racing, really. Like, those first seasons, IRL was good by the time they, but by the time they finally killed it and reunified with CART. But at the time, immediately, it just became a shit show with all these uh, really amateurish drivers who had no business driving open wheel. That's a really strange story that uh, you can read about on Wikipedia. I, I encourage anyone who's who's interested in like just the weird politicking that goes on behind the scenes uh, with with motorsport, yeah, you know, was, governing bodies. 
Yeah, it was a classic, like, fail son kills golden goose uh, type <laughs> yeah. situation. So, yeah, so I started watching Formula One and uh, just got completely hooked. And I, I basically caught it at a good moment. It was right around the time that um, McLaren and Ferrari were really at the height of their rivalry around the okay. 2000s. It was all uh, Hakkinen and Schumacher and sort of the, uh, you know, the balance of power shifted a few times around then. But, yeah, I was just utterly hooked on it. And I really enjoyed the... Um, American commentary team, uh, you know, David Hobbs and, and Steve Matchett. Those were my guys for like 20 years. And, oh, they uh, were doing it back then, too. Back. Oh, yeah. Um, wow. With uh, Bob Varsha over at Fox. And, sure. Um, God, he's been Peter around forever, Windsor. too. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, yeah. I, I, I turned on a, uh, an IndyCar race not too, uh, uh, too long ago, and I saw that... Um, uh, now I'm going to forget his name. Uh, Jan Bikas is oh, wow. still he is still the pit lane reporter and he God. was around in at least the 90s yeah doing it with paul page and them yeah so yeah I, that's that's awesome your uh your f1 knowledge goes back way deeper than mine i think even you know danny even the european uh he had a he had a lapse in there somewhere so uh this will be good uh Looking should we to it. should we start with uh i mean we picked a great race to have you come on because boy this one was this one was good uh should we start with qualifying absolutely yeah so hamilton uh i guess just start there q1 uh hydraulic issue he sets a time but um goes off track like he runs over the curbs which looks like a, a pretty rough go uh, and the commentators are speculating that maybe him going over the curbs caused this hydraulic issue that caused him to well, actually pull over to the we've side seen of the so road. Many cars knocked out by those by those serrated curbs, like those things are just shredding undercarriages. So it really looked like Hamilton had taken out his car by just sort of uh, you know doing Dukes of Hazard over that over that <laughs> yeah. curb. Um, I don't know. So so apparently, uh, you know, I, I saw in your notes here. It wasn't like he, that. He so, didn't do that to himself, right? So the uh, after the fact, he uh, and the team explained that the hydraulics had gone before that, which caused him to go over the curbs. Um, and he <laughs> he immediately pulled over. I think the um, uh, the team was like immediately stop the car, stop the car, because you know they don't want to damage their power unit. Uh, and he says, "I don't want to stop." And he actually gets out of the car and tries to push it back to the pits, uh, but it's it's no use, and he has to he has to call it at some point, and then just what sits did, there looking so dejected. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about that because I was curious what you made of that moment. It was the second race in a row where we see Hamilton really overcome by emotion, uh, and almost like uh, even Nico Rosberg was in the was in pit lane reporting for Sky this weekend. Even he remarked on it that this was like different body language for Lewis Hamilton. We haven't seen him like this before, and this was the second race in a row where we've seen him overcome, kneeling at the side of his car uh, and just bracing himself against it. And it makes me at that moment. It was the, like it was the first moment where I'm like, is Lewis okay? <laughs> yeah, I he's a he's a moody guy. Um, mm-hmm. This to me didn't I don't know I I didn't feel so much like he's uh, you know more more down in the dumps than usual. I th- the thing that that gets or the the interpretation that I have to a lot of that stuff is it's like when you're watching um, a play. And the actors are exaggerating their movements because they know uh, there are people in the way back of the room that need to see what's going on. So I I feel like he sort of magnifies this stuff, or at least that's that's how I used to think of it. Uh, I don't know if you've listened to F1's uh, new official podcast, Beyond the Grid, but they did a a lengthy interview with Lewis. um, And actually... uh, the the segment that HBO did with him on Real Sports, uh, with him and his brother, which is also really good, uh, like helps to paint the picture of Lewis a little more because you know F one drivers are uh, hidden a lot of times by their teams. It's less of an issue nowadays, I guess. But Hamilton, to me, more and more is seeming like this is all pretty genuine, uh, and so. I don't really know what to make of this stuff, I guess, uh, except that 
he's a moody guy um but maybe that's what contributes to him being a uh you know such a top top level performer yeah i don't i don't buy into the um like jacques villeneuve was saying i, th- I think after the race that like and he was talking about like then hamilton tends to um you know apologies for the pun here but like ham it up right that he, he tends yeah. to overplay this stuff i've always tended to think that he's pretty genuine about this stuff and my concern with hamilton has always been there's that moodiness and i think a lot of it comes from this place of like with a lot of great athletes different things fuel and motivate them and like Hamilton just seems to feel this stuff more deeply than I think a lot of other racers on the grid. Yeah. Uh, I think he's a more driven competitor uh, than, than a lot of racers on the grid. But the problem is that, like, that can sometimes, that, that exacts a toll, right? Like, how many years can you sustain that level of emotional investment intensity? And that's always been the thing I've been, cur- I've, I've sort of been curious about with Hamilton, you know? Is there a certain point where, like, you know, the ambition and the drive just becomes almost, like, too punishing? And a couple times this season, I've, I've thought, like, I've seen the door cracked open to, you know, this might, like, it might be starting to get to Lewis a little bit. But yeah, yeah, I, I, I got that from uh, I, I definitely do get that from Lewis. And I actually got it from the uh, same podcast. They interviewed uh, Robert Kubica, um, mm. who, you know, I mean, talk about got <laughs> talk about like a drive. The man nearly lost his entire right arm uh, and is still fighting to to race in Formula One. It, it shows like an almost um, ludicrous level of of singular focus so i think i think you're right i think these guys are and and, you know maybe lewis is just uh you know more more visible about showing this stuff i mean i always remember uh what i think valtteri botas said on his his first win he says uh you know just because us Finns don't show a lot of emotion doesn't mean we don't have it um and i i think that i think to be a racing driver you just have to be a little bit nuts um so Uh, yeah, I, I, I think, I, I hope Lewis is doing all right. It seems like, uh, well, we'll get to it, but, um, he, he's good for a reason. Uh, continuing on with qualifying though, uh, Ricardo also didn't set a time, um, in Q2 because he will be starting at the back of the grid due to a, uh, power unit upgrade. So Hamilton, even though he advances to Q2, doesn't go at all uh but neither does ricardo so hamilton actually gets placed in 14th uh place to start uh and then in q3 botas had provisional pole position but then vettel crushed it at the last second by two tenths which is a lot uh, that so, final duel was incredible like that was if you want to see what these drivers are capable of like these were two buzzer beater laps and they were both just yeah. driving the wheels off those cars um speaking of driving the wheels off the car I am of the opinion that Stoffel Van Dorn is a very good driver. Um, and he's a good driver in a bad car. Mm-hmm. And proceeding from that assumption, the difference between him and Alonzo just makes me think how much more magnificent a driver Alonzo is right now. Like, <laughs> I think Alonzo might <laughs> be, quietly good take, dri- yeah. be driving the best of his career. And it's all going for naught because the car is so bad. He drove that, he drove that thing, what, up into 11th? Uh, this yeah. in in Q, in Q two, and Stoffel was was stuck down in twenty like that like never even came close. Um, You're right, and and so like it is so distressing to see Alonso's unerring ability to pick the wrong team to join at the wrong moment <laughs> uh, continue to just throw away. I think what probably should have been one of the all time most exciting careers in uh, in F one. Yeah, that's uh that's a it's it's, a, it's currently a sad story. I hope it doesn't end a sad story. I would love to see Alonso in a in a great car again. Uh but you're right, he's, he starts 11th. Um Sebastian Vettel starts first. Valtteri Bottas in second. Kimi Räikkönen in third, followed by Max Verstappen, Kevin Magnussen, Roman Grosjean, two Haas boys keeping each other company. Uh, Nico Hulkenberg in seventh, followed by Sainz, Leclerc in ninth in his Sauber, and Sergio Perez rounding out the top ten. Behind them is Alonso Sorokin in a Williams in twelfth place. Uh, Ericsson in the other Sauber in thirteenth, followed by Lewis Hamilton. Uh, Esteban Ocon in fifteenth, followed by Hartley, Stroll, Van Dorn, and then Ricardo uh, with his engine penalties, and Pierre Gasly uh, with some engine 
part penalties as well. Um, the start, Rob, pretty clean. Uh, at least from the, you know, about fifth place up, there's a pretty good scrap between the Haas and Renault guys who are, um, you know, they don't, they don't start necessarily next to each other, but they're, they're there immediately and, and mixing it up. Uh, and then Verstappen all over the back of Raikkonen, uh, trying to get that third spot, but just can't seem to pull it together. Hamilton, though, wastes no time getting past people, moves up to 13th within a lap, and by lap 14, he's in fifth place. I don't know about you, even though it's kind of a given that these guys will make up places because they're in great cars, whenever this happens to uh, a top-tier team that they're in the back of the field and have to work their way forward, it's still always entertaining for me to watch. Oh, those those tend to be the most uh, you know unforgettable races, right? Like this is the stuff we 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 love to see, and I think I was surprised uh, because I was sort of expecting that Hamilton. Like sometimes guys start way back there, and they have that incredible start, like basically before the first corner, and they'll try to snag like a bunch of places in the first opening corners. Yeah, that's not what Hamilton does. And the thing to remember here is that he's starting on I think the hardest compound of the weekend, which was the uh, soft uh, compound. Um, I don't Hamilton know if there was a hard... Yeah. yeah. And so, he's uh, there generally... Is, there's a medium. There was a medium? Yeah, I don't know that anyone started on the medium. I don't know that anyone brought it out. Um, and given what, how the soft went for most people, I'm not surprised. But, um, yeah, so, like, Hamilton doesn't have the grippiest tires uh, to start out. He doesn't get greedy. He just methodically, like, just keeps knocking people off lap after lap. It is one of the most patient and, like... Uh, controlled performances I, I've seen from him. It was it, it was an incredible it was an incredible opening to his opening stint. That just got better. Yeah, uh, racefans.net does a really good lap chart of the position of each driver on every lap. And watching or looking at charts like this one, Lewis's uh, line is just like a forty five degree angle. It's like passing like a car a lap almost. Uh, Actually, yeah. It wasn't until lap 11 through 13 that he went more than two laps without passing anyone. So, <laughs> lap 11, it was like one car per lap. Uh, amazing. Uh, not amazing, though. Lap 26, Daniel Ricardo goes out with a mechanical problem, his second DNF in three races. Uh, I love Daniel Ricardo. I hate seeing this. I am... Like, I'm really, I, I'm really worried because the guy's not getting the brakes, and I, I just he's he's in an awkward spot uh, on the grid, an awkward spot I think in terms of his uh, his career in F1. Um, I you know like I'm not worried that he's not going to get a ride, uh, but I, I feel like he might just be like I feel like his best play might be to stick it at, at Red Bull, uh, you know, for the for the near term, uh, but. Things like this season and his progressively disastrous uh, reliability issues are just burying him at the exact wrong moment. And Max is doing well. Yeah. Um, although it's it's kind of a reversal because Max did not start this season great. Yeah. Um, but it's just, yeah, I, I hopefully... <sighs> I mean, I don't have high hopes for this, but hopefully the engine change will kind of turn things around for them. Um, I, I don't really see that happening because I, I imagine that changing engines is such a disruption technically. Um, and uh, from what I understand, driving a different engine means a completely different set of skills to maximize that engine, right? So well, not only is your car different, to be? it'll be a Honda. Okay. No, I'm sorry. Like the new engine regulations, though. Um, oh, oh. Uh, I, I don't know those off the top yeah. of my head. Because I mean, because I like I think they're changing some of the features of the uh, you know combustion engine. Uh, mm -hmm. So again, like that's going to rat. Yeah, that will radically transform the the driving characteristics of the car. I kind of suspect that we're headed for almost a reshuffling of the field uh, around. Yeah, the, I guess around the engine in change. In that respect, maybe it'll be more of a level playing field because I think they are getting rid of the the MGUH, uh, okay. the, the the heat harvester, mm -hmm. um, which has plagued a lot of teams. But yeah, I I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm ex I, I'm always excited for the next uh, 
season, but but wary because of things like this that are just so disruptive. I don't want it to be like a learning season, you know. But maybe yeah. that's. I mean, they're they're kind of using Toro Rosso as like a guinea pig for all their Honda stuff, so maybe it won't be so bad. Poor Toro Rosso. I know. Um, but you know, something else we should mention about the race at this juncture. The entire sky, this entire race, looks like at any moment it's about to be a torrential downpour. Like, everyone is driving. Like, by the numbers, this is basically, I think, a, uh, what, a one-stop race? Uh, Two-stopper? Yeah. Yeah, because it was, was, go to Ultra, make that last, I think you get on the soft and maybe run it out, though it doesn't look like that was actually feasible for most people. Uh, But there's a lot of hesitation about nobody feels confident in their pit strategy because at any moment it could start raining and then you have to come in again for the inters but the rain doesn't show up and so everyone is just starting to go to their uh you know primary strategy and just to hope they get lucky with the rain and hamilton is staying out there on these soft tires that like should seem to be going off but like right around the time that uh, ricardo goes out um, and Raikkonen is pitted and come out ahead of uh, Hamilton. Uh, Hamilton, around lap 34, he's starting to go green uh, and set personal bests again and again. Uh, 34 laps into this, this race with tires that are starting to fray on the inside of the rim, uh, which again is just incredible because in a few laps we'd start to see how the softs were behaving for everyone else. Mm-hmm. And there's Hamilton just like, driving his best he's living his best life midway through the race (laughs) on the starter softs yeah i mean that's i think that speaks to kind of what you were talking about earlier his his ability to to pace um himself uh and really make that stuff last because i i think he maybe to some degree he he knows that uh the, the the longer he makes these tires last, the better. I mean, of course, because he's starting so far in the back and everyone else is starting on the ultra softs. He wants to make it last as long and get out in front of everyone because he's got the faster car. So then when he pits, he doesn't actually lose that many places. Uh, interestingly, what you said about the rain, I think really messed with Ferrari because they appear to split strategies. They pit Raikkonen really quick, I think on lap 14. Um I guess intending to do a two-stop, right? Like you said, ultra soft to soft to ultra soft. Uh, whereas Vettel stays on his ultra softs until lap 25 and then changes to softs. I may be going to the end, but again, who knows? Um, because uh, the rain is coming. So uh, Raikkonen goes on to those softs way early and as a result actually ends up ahead of Vettel when Fettel pits, because Raikkonen has essentially undercut him, uh, which leads uh, Raikkonen to get a message on the radio that's clearly designed not to get him angry. Um, Ferrari chief engineer Jock Clear says, so Kimmy, this is Jock. You are aware we need to look after tires. Both cars, both cars need to look after tires, and you two are on different strategies. Your track strategies are slightly different, and we'd like you not to hold up, Seb. Thank you. Which Raikkonen responds, I'm not sure what you mean. What do you want me to do? Stop beating around the bush. He doesn't say that. That's me. Uh, no, but he so, does literally say, do you want me to move over or not? Just just tell me. Yeah, he says, and, like, do you want me to let him go? Please, please, just tell me. Which I think is really indicative of this whole season has been the like, well, Raikkonen's a dead man walking, right? And so <laughs> Raikkonen has never really like cared that much about appearances and certainly he doesn't now. Uh, but yeah, he seems kind of frustrated, uh, with the entire situation. Uh, worth pointing out just before that exchange. So Vettel gets on those new, uh, on the softs and immediately is pissed off about it. Like he's out there for a lap and a half. Yeah. He starts sending in radio messages saying, uh, the rears are already going off. Like we're talking two laps into the stint. He's saying he's got, I think he said he's got blistering or he feels like he's got no back end. One of the two, but Hmm. on lap 37, um, he locks I think it was lap 36, but you hear the radio message on 37, uh, somewhere in there, he locks his fronts, uh, pretty badly. And then you hear him get on the radio and he sort of, <laughs> he's really snippy with his engineer. He says, uh, do you see the tire temps now? You, do you? Uh, <laughs> oh, I do and remember so, like, that. Yeah. So he's three <laughs> laps into the stint on the softs and he's already begging to be taken off the softs. And at that point, if he does that at that point in the race, 
the entire advantage he had over Vettel to, Vettel, uh, Hamilton is a wash. Like, if he stops there, uh, basically now he's just in a race with Hamilton. Uh, and so he's got to stay out there and make these tires work, but they are not working. Yeah, or <laughs> at least not without a lot of complaining. Uh, but thankfully for Vettel, uh, he does get to swap with Kimi Raikkonen um, and go into first place. And since Raikkonen had pitted so early, he would have had to stop anyway. So, uh, you know, it's not actually it's not actually losing losing out to Vettel. It's just helping Vettel a little bit. Um, interestingly, Mercedes runs into this problem shortly thereafter because Botas is now in fourth behind Hamilton because Hamilton stayed out. Um, but Hamilton does quickly pit, goes on the ultra softs on lap 42. <laughs> he made the softs last 42 laps uh, and rejoins in fifth place. That's nine places he made up since starting in 14th. Uh, but it's about this time that it does indeed start to rain first only on a few turns, not on the whole circuit. Um, and for a while, it's pretty, it's some tricky business because everyone is still on dry tires because it's not like a downpour. Everyone's waiting to see whether it actually rains or not. Uh, Leclerc slips and does an amazing 360 and keeps going, which is an amazing uh, move. It feels so badass when you pull that stuff off. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I feel like I was expecting him to pump his fist. Yeah, it's, you know, it was, I don't know how much it was ever raining across the entire track, but there was that one, that, that one hairpin, uh, turn six, where it was raining pretty decently and steadily. And so it was like, everyone ends up in this weird place where slicks are still probably better for most of the lab, except there's one corner where it's basically a slip and slide. Um, yeah. And so everyone starts to try to figure out how they're going to handle that. And I think at this point you start seeing a lot of panic calls uh, in the strategy department, yes. which is which is always fun to see. Uh, <laughs> a lot of people just become convinced, I think, that uh, turn six is going to end their race. And they're like, we need to get, we need to get on treads right now. Yeah. Um, and Hamilton is out there uh, on ultras, and I think he has one, one like shimmy uh, out in turn six. But beyond that... He's he's fine and he's much faster around the dry sectors. Yeah, I mean, yeah, absolutely. And it, interesting to uh, point out that I mean, some of them do go on intermediate t- tires uh, for Stappen, Alonso, um, but Toro Rosso puts Gasly on full wet tires. Like they are, you know, I, it seems you know dumb in in uh, retrospect because it doesn't actually rain that hard, uh, but. They were, I guess, kind of in the back of the field and going for a Hail Mary. Uh, but, that, yeah, that, that they did not need to do that. No, um, like, it's a, the equivalent of seeing, like, a cloud in the sky and, like, clearing out the supermarket of, like, batteries <laughs> and uh, food, like, dry goods. Yeah. Uh, and what you were saying that, like, okay, yes, this area is a slip and slide, but the rest of the track is fine. They uh, One thing I, I don't really, or I didn't really get a good grasp on until... Um, they showed this, but they showed a replay of him going off track on his wet tires because when there's no water to cool them down, they heat up and then lose grip when you're on the dry surface. So they're not, you don't want to put them on if it's not raining. That's what the intermediate tires are for. It was, this was actually a really great F1 race. If you want to learn about tire strategy, like really, if you want to see yeah. what we're talking about when like we talk about these compounds, because if you don't, if you don't get with strategy, if you don't get with racing strategy and motorsports politics, F1 maybe isn't for you because it really hinges on both a lot. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but this one was like, if you want to see like why a wet tire is bad in the wrong conditions, that clip is the perfect demonstration of like, oh yeah, they don't work as tires at all at that point. Like they're, they're worse than basically just driving on ice. Yeah. Um, there's some more craziness as Raikkonen, who's in second at this point, tries to pass the back marker of Magnuson and has to cut a turn. He's trying to go on the outside and just loses it. Uh, and as a result, Raikkonen loses second place to Botas, who had been hounding him in the back. Uh, Perez also does a 180 and loses a few spots. Um, and then, Rob, as all that craziness is happening, on lap 51, the camera cuts to Sebastian Vettel, nose deep in a barrier, in a gravel trap, pounding on his steering wheel. It's it's excruciating to watch. Yeah, uh, like you see the replay, it's nothing. It's it's 
Like, if you've ever basically screwed up in a parking lot and, like, tagged a pillar or something like that, just the stupidest, like, slow speed, like, what was I thinking there? What happened? That's the accident Vettel had. It was just, he got on a, just a slippery patch, and the steering doesn't answer, he's gotten traction, and at pretty low speed, he just gently like slides off the track into the yeah. wall like it is it is awful like he has he has time to really think about what just happened before he hits the wall it's yeah oh it's awful it's 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 like if you you know everyone you trip on a sidewalk and catch yourself and everything's fine but he just happened to do that on the edge of a cliff yeah and he even says i don't is a quote from racefans.net i don't think it was a huge mistake it was a huge impact on the race because we retired there but it's not like tonight i will have difficulties to fall asleep because of what i have done wrong it was just oh it's just you're right excruciating to watch and it brings out the safety car uh, and it brings out the safety car again throws the um it's our second opportunity to see a lot of interesting pit strategy calls and uh really well-heeled f1 teams perhaps panicking uh at 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 a new change in their plans yeah which is you know um when a safety car comes out you basically have the time uh until your driver gets to the pit window to make the call and for mercedes that was about two and a half seconds for botas so they make the call. He immediately pits from first place. So it's Botas in first, then Raikkonen, and then Hamilton, uh, all of them having inherited one more spot with Vettel out. Um, so Botas pits, uh, having been on his soft tires for 24 laps with 15 more to go. And his stop lasts a long time. Apparently, Mercedes was going to put him on intermediate tires, but changed their minds and went with the ultra softs. So what was already a scramble became even more of a scramble. Um and then they, uh, we see a replay of Hamilton being told to pit, just like Botas. And you can actually see Raikkonen ahead of him on track as Hamilton is diving for the pits. So then Hamilton's radio says, Kimmy's staying out. Uh, and his, engineer, his poor engineer is saying like, all right, box, box, time to pit. Um, and then Lewis is like, wait, Kimmy's staying out. He's like, oh, the, the stay out. Wait, no, come in. And then yeah, Hamilton. The just last like six seconds of the transmission it. are just no, 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 no. That's just it. Like just like pleading with him to stay out. It was. It was yeah. Uh, I think it's that was a moment that I think both for Botas uh, with them having the wrong tires out for Botas, and uh, then them nearly pulling Hamilton at the wrong moment was like a crystallization of why, as a driver, I think it's really tough to trust Mercedes strategy decisions during a race. Like. Yeah, they 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 build a great race car. They have the most. They have one of the most tremendous engineering and factory teams uh, on the grid. They have the championships to prove that, and it's a good thing they do because I feel like whenever the script gets flipped in the race, Mercedes calls during the race can be counted on to be borderline disastrous. <laughs> um, like I mean. Having the wrong tires out for Botas, uh, understandable, but again, this sort of thing happens a lot at, at Mercedes. Uh, and then nearly nearly pulling Hamilton in. Um, I, I understand, like, Lewis gets a lot of shit for, like, how much he presses his engineers about the calls they're making and, like, how little he seems to trust the, what, he, what he's hearing from the pit wall. Mm-hmm. But, like, man, look at, look at that sequence and, like, tell me you don't kind of get it. Yeah. Uh, I... I you know, I. It's easy to say hindsight is is twenty twenty, uh, but I feel like I see these mistakes happen um, across the teams. I, I don't know that I, you know, people are Ferrari caught a lot of flack when um, I think it was early this season or maybe it was last season, like three in a row uh, calls were totally against uh, Kimmy, like they just screwed him unnecessarily uh and then red bull with their their uh botching of ricardo's pit stop in monaco they just threw away the race you know mm-hmm. so like i i, I the, what what this actually speaks to for me is like i like this stuff when teams screw up like this because it just even though we know that there are supercomputers in england feeding them terabytes of data 
uh, and they have algorithms to say if this happens, you know, if any one of these millions of scenarios happens during this race, then we do this. Even with all of that power, they still screw up. It's still a human uh, decision that has to be made and they make mistakes. And uh, frankly, that's the way I want it. Like when they're talking about getting rid of, um, uh, uh, I forget what they call them, like the satellite offices that do all the data crunching. I'm kind of for it because I want to yeah. see people fly by the seats of their pants. All right. Well, it sounds like you're ready for a return to uh, the good old days, like guys missing shifts and uh, all, you know all that stuff. Yeah, sequential gearboxes make it too easy. We need to <laughs> bring, bring back the H, bring back the H shifter. Uh, so Hamilton stays out. Raikkonen then pits from first place. Uh, he had pretty old tires, 39 laps old. Um, so that means Lewis Hamilton inherits first place behind the safety car. So on the restart, it is Hamilton, Botas, Raikkonen, followed by Verstappen, Hulkenberg, Perez, Ocon, Erickson, Hartley, and Grosjean rounding at the top 10. Uh, and on Botas, who is also, or who is on much fresher tires than Hamilton, immediately has a go at Hamilton, which is awesome. It is a very exciting about three quarters of a lap. And then Botas is told <laughs> over the radio, uh, Valtteri, it's James. Uh, please hold position. I'm sorry. Like, told not to attack Lewis Hamilton. How are you feeling about that? Again, in retrospect, this makes sense. Toto Wolf explained it um, by saying that uh, this from racefans.net, denying that the order was given to ensure Hamilton, their leading driver in the championship, um, the victory in the race. He says, no, absolutely not. If it would have been the other way around with Valtteri in the lead, a Lewis second, we would have made the same call, identical call. It was about bringing it home. We respected who was in the front. The team's priority was to score the one-two in order to recover some of the points that we lost to bad luck. And then Botas actually, in another article on Race Fans, says, uh, from my side, no hard feelings on the call. It made complete sense for me. Here you need quite a big pace difference to overtake, and being more or less on equal tires, it would have been really tricky. Uh, as a driver, the win is what you're looking for. And when uh, Seb went off, I thought now was a good chance. But I think for Lewis, the safety car was better time so he could stay out. I had to stop. I get it. I get all of that. I wanted to see them race, guys. My heart was in my mouth. Uh, because, again, the track conditions were still tricky. Like, it was not a dry track. It was sort of, uh, you know, again, if you're playing it safe, you might have still been on enters for that. Uh, but... I could just I could just see them taking each other out. I could see it as clear as day. I understand why you make the call, but it was so thrilling watching them go at each other. Uh, you know, and here's the other thing. I think maybe Mercedes is being honest that uh, you know they would have made the call had the roles been reversed. The difference is I don't think Hamilton listens to it. Like I think you're right. The Rosberg yep. years told me that Hamilton. I love Mason Lewis Hamilton. I would not want to be teammates with Lewis Hamilton. Uh, because, like, again, that drive, he is ruthless. I think if they give him that order, he's just going to go at uh, Botas no matter what. Uh, but Botas is a he's a trooper, and, uh, you know, he'll play his role. And he definitely handled it in a really classy fashion. Yeah, I mean, he is the uh, Botas, the, the, the poster child for a team player. Yeah. Um, and I think that's exactly why they signed him again for next year. Um. And you know he's a he's a consistent driver as well. I mean he's had a lot of DNFs or, and uh, hard hard luck has befallen him a lot this year. But um, again, I think Mercedes playing it safe on uh, the race and playing it safe on the the driver contract. So um, you know you, you, to finish first first you must finish. Yeah. Oh, one other thing I wanted to bring up. They were talking a little bit before the race that the rumors of Raikkonen's death at Ferrari might be exaggerated. Uh, that you know hmm. maybe he's been driving better like maybe now there's a little more interest uh, at Ferrari maybe having Kimi stick around I don't know it really felt like the Leclerc thing was probably a done deal 
Except then the Claire has a race like that. Uh, which, yeah, he has a cool moment where he snaps the car around and saves it. But then I think he, you know, a minute later, he's also bouncing across the infield uh, trying to get back on the track. Like, he struggled mightily in those conditions, and there were a lot of lapses. And uh, I am wondering, like, is Kimi's stock a little higher than we thought? And uh, did we see from Leclerc that he's not as fully developed a driver as he needs to be right now? Yeah, I... I agree with you. Uh, there's two things. One, he's in a Sauber, which mm-hmm. Saubers have been a lot better this year than they have in years past. In the, in the past, it was just like they were an afterthought, just a, a, an automatic backmarker. Seeing them both. I mean, uh, Marcus Erickson finished the race in ninth place. Um, so there's that. But also, I, I think even if they... like this, That right there is a uh, an argument to Sebastian Vettel to say you should accept Leclerc as your teammate because he is so young. Like, mm-hmm. I, I think Vettel's been out there saying like, nah, Kimi's great. Well, of, course, of course he is. You don't want to be overshadowed by some young upstart. Kimi's the, the known quantity that you have outqualified every single time. Um, so I, I, I don't think Ferrari uh, will see it that way. I think they'll probably see it like you're saying that like, mm, I don't know. Um, but I guess what I'm saying is e- either way, uh, well, not either way. I would love to see Leclerc there. I think that'd be amazing. I would too. I like I like Kimi. Like I hope he stays in the sport somewhere, uh, especially because he's just such an enjoyable weirdo. Like yes. he is. He is an utter delight. Just like oh my god, just like Coen Brothers character, but like in F one. It's it's tremendous. Uh, but like Leclerc does seem to be he's the future for somebody. Uh, the question is whether the future is now at Ferrari. And it's just so tricky. Like there are very few world champion caliber drivers who are good with another ace in the same paddock. You know. Yes. Uh, the other thing I'll say is that Sauber, again, is is no longer this team where you, as a driver, will just languish uh, and not be able to show what you've got. I think Sauber is now one of those teams. I think Williams and McLaren, perhaps, are uh, the old Saubers, where you just you go and you just operate the car until your contract expires, and then you're done. Like, we saw that with... Uh, um, uh, Verline, mm-hmm. which you know, it's, I think it, it was it was Sauber, right? Yeah, he was at Sauber, um, but it was a different Sauber. So I hate to see that happen, where he just comes in. Like I would hate to see Sergey Sorotkin go out of the sport because, yeah, he hasn't been exactly tearing it up, but he's in a Williams, right? Lance Stroll, though, probably <laughs> probably ready to see him check out. I don't, yeah, he's just such a... I don't know. I don't know what to think of that guy. Um, but he... Yeah, this race, he was he was not classified. He went out with a, a brake issue. Uh, but let's, I guess, run down the race yeah. result. Lewis Hamilton does win the German Grand Prix from 14th place. It is the first time he has won out, start, having started outside the top six, uh, which is which is quite a gap. 6th to, to 14th place. Uh, behind him, Valtteri Bottas. 3rd place is Kimi Raikkonen rounding up the podium. Behind those guys, Max Verstappen, Nico Hülkenberg, Roman Grosjean, Sergio Perez, Esteban Ocon, Marcus Erickson, and Brendan Hartley getting some points in 10th place. Outside the points is Kevin Magnussen, Carlos Sainz, uh, Stoffel Van Dorn, Pierre Gasly, Charles Leclerc, and Fernando Alonso. Uh, in 16th place. Not classified were Lance Stroll with a brake issue, Sebastian Vettel hitting the wall, uh, Sergei Sorotkin with an oil leak, and Danny Rick with a power unit. Uh, some post-race news. Raikkonen does stand by that decision to to pit rather than stay out and duke it out with Lewis, Lewis Hamilton. Uh, in a quote on racefans.net, he says, it's always easy to say afterwards, but honestly, we don't know what would have happened if we'd stayed out. I'm 100% sure that the ultras worked better, plus I, I had very used tires at that point already. So the thinking, I guess, is that he would be able to pass Hamilton with his brand new ultra softs and Hamilton's old uh, old ultra softs i guess uh but that was that was not to be uh, also there was a lot of concern that hamilton broke a rule 
by rejoining the track after passing the pit entry line. Um, but uh, the stewards issued him a reprimand, which I think it's one of those deals where you get so many of them and then you get a penalty. So it's just a it's just a slap on the wrist, or not even. It's just a threat of a slap on the wrist. Uh, the stewards said, quote, in, in deciding on the penalty for the infringement, we took into account the following mitigating factors. The driver and the team candidly admitted the mistake and the fact that there was confusion within the team as to whether to stay out or enter the pits uh, that led to the infringement. Uh, number two, the fact that the infringement took place during a safety car period. And number three, at no time was there any danger to any other competitor and the change in direction was executed in a safe way. Taking the above into account, including considering previous infringements of the above rule, we are of the opinion that a reprimand would be the appropriate penalty for the said infringement on this occasion. Uh, what do you think of that? Uh, I mean, all the logic tracks, uh, it is it does feel like a very light slap on the wrist but at the same time um sometimes i'm in favor of the rule of cool right like it was a great race like the last thing you want is for f1 stewards to come and undo one of the best drives we've had in years uh over the location of a bollard yeah totally totally agree um and that's kind of all i got from the german grand prix uh, anything else in your notes? Uh, no, I think we we covered we covered about all of it. It was uh, it, it was it continues the pattern of this season, having thrown up some of the best uh, best racing, best competition Formula One uh, I've seen in years. Yeah, totally agree. And kind of out of nowhere, like you you don't know when it's coming, and then it just surprises you, which is which is the best. Yeah. Uh, all right, on to the news. Um, starting with uh, some very sad news, Sergio Marchionne, who is the uh, former CEO of Ferrari, um, has died uh, suddenly. He stepped down from his position four days earlier, um, and uh, apparently uh, the cause of death appears to have been an embolism of some kind. Um, but he was only 66 years old. Uh, he was widely regarded as the savior of the Fiat Chrysler Group. Uh, and uh, the article on racefans.net also credits him uh, with being one of the ones to uh, to to strong arm the sport to so many times threaten to pull out of F1 if things didn't go their way. So he, I think, was was the champion for F Ferrari's F1 team um, and oversaw them uh, getting back to where they are today. So. Um, very beloved figure in the in the sport and of course thoughts go out to his to his uh friends and family so that's uh quite quite a blow i think for for the ferrari team we'll we'll see what what happens in the uh in the wake of this i mean ferrari has as far as long as i can remember been always that kind of thorn in the side of of the formula one uh business uh so who knows where things go from here if, if things you know become more homologated to all the rest of the teams or if ferrari continues their uh you know their their special status um yeah remains to be seen but uh yeah some some sad news yeah he's been he was sort of crucial at drawing a line under the uh de Montezemolo, uh era debacle uh, and getting getting the team on on a sounder footing, I am very curious what this signifies for future negotiations around the future of Ferrari and F one. Uh, it may not change anything. Ferrari has such a history of just playing <laughs> the hardest of hardballs uh, mm -hmm. when it comes to F uh, F one rules and regulations, especially when it comes to uh, you know cash distribution at the end of the season. Yeah, um, that may not change no matter who's in there as Ferrari, but. Uh, I'm very curious to see whether, um, you know, this could be a huge change for Ferrari. And if the next person in, in there isn't, uh, you know, quite such a skilled FIA infighter, um, it could, you know, change things for the sport as well. Yeah, we shall see. Uh, what we won't see is the Miami Grand Prix next year. Uh, according to the Miami Herald, uh, delayed contract negotiations force organizers to push back the intended inaugural race 
to uh, to 2020, at least I would say I would add to that is because nothing has been approved yet. They'll run it the year after they run the New Jersey race. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Promises like this have been made before, so we're we're not holding our breath there. But uh, we are not having a German Grand Prix next year. So we're not having a Miami Grand Prix. So I think we're currently down to 19 races. Um, in 2021 news, Ferrari or Ferrari Formula One will introduce 18-inch wheels uh, and a ban on tire warmers. Those blankets that they wrap around the tires will go by the wayside uh, for 2021. So currently, the the tires are 13 inches. We're talking about adding five inches to the diameter of those things. I will uh, I will link some pictures in the show notes because they are. There's some fat rims. So basically, it's going to be like the Batmobile racing series uh, at this <laughs> <Yes>. point. <laughs> or the uh, the APC and Aliens, where right. the wheels are like as tall as the vehicle. Um, it's from Hi, race well, fans. You have to be excited. No tire warmers, though. Like, again, you want to see some mistakes on cold tires. Yes, I do. Tire warmers. Here we go. That's right. Um uh, worth mentioning uh, this from racefans.net as well that they are uh, narrowing the width of the wheels, at least the front wheels, from 305 millimeters to 270. Uh, rear wheel widths will remain at 405 millimeters. That's going to be a big tire in the back. Uh, and in regards to the tire warming blankets being abolished, Renault's chief technical officer, Bob Bell, believes uh, that the challenges, the safety challenges, uh, should, could, can, and will be resolved. He says, quote, I'm sure that a set of tire requirements from the supplier can be agreed upon that will deliver tires that will be capable of being operated safely without blankets. Plenty of other racing series do it, so I don't see any reasons why we can't in Formula One. I, you know, worth pointing out that because the warmers contribute to grip, they contribute to uh, cars staying on the road. But I guess it's a it's a good point that other racing series don't do it. So does that mean that their compounds already account for this? Like instead of you know uh, uh, the tire p- compounds being a, a, this degree of tackiness, will they be? very very sticky um so that they don't need the warmers i you know i'm i'm just speculating here but uh it it stands to reason that since other series doing it we don't need to do the tire warmer things it seems like sort of a needless complication um that's kind of it for news we do have some driver confirmations for 2019 uh, mercedes has confirmed both hamilton and botas ferrari has confirmed fettel so far as we mentioned no nothing on raikkonen uh and red bull has confirmed for stappen nothing on uh ricardo uh but there are plenty of juicy rumors rumors going around are saying that uh ricardo will resign with red bull uh, there's that one about Leclerc going to Ferrari. Uh, some other ones here. Raikkonen would go to Sauber, where he started Formula One, which mm. is he would have to really love a Formula One paycheck, but maybe he does. Um, Stroll to Force India. Uh, also, a rumor that his dad is buying the team. Which there we go. Uh, would uh, <laughs> just would certainly throwing, allow that. Just keep throwing money into that project, Dad. Just, <laughs> it's like what if what if, um, jo- if Joseph stopping but a billionaire and maybe not as scary. <laughs> yeah, um, uh, Esteban Ocon to Renault question mark, and then signs to McLaren, and then Van Dorn to Toro Rosso, which then would push Brendan Hartley out. Uh, Lando Norris also perhaps would take the spot at Toro Rosso, um, and a couple of question marks surrounding Grosjean will he go out he's had not such a great season would Perez go there because they want a North American driver would Robert Kubica go there all kinds of things flying around I would I would commit crimes to get Robert Kubica back in F1 (laughs) like he was so exciting uh when when he was uh before his injury and uh definitely I think would have been a world champion by now uh, it would be awesome to see him return. Yeah, he, he uh, you know, I was not watching F1 when he was around, but uh, watching that or listening to that uh, podcast with him, um, yeah, he 
he would be I, I have a feeling there's a contingent out there um of Formula One fans who would just absolutely love that and it would be a, a good you know <laughs> teams aren't in the business of uh doing things because the fans want them to but man would that be a great bone to throw um also i guess not in the news but in the section i have labeled dumb here's a picture from reddit about how drivers react to dnfs uh it's lewis hamilton looking very sad uh then sebastian fettel looking very sad with their helmet down hands on their heads uh botas sitting on the ground looking very sad kimi raikkonen walking onto his yacht which nice. is maybe kimi can't kimi can't leave who who will go onto their yacht after crashing in Monaco? Only Kimi would do that. Only, only Kimi <laughs> would not care about appearances to that degree. <laughs> I, I do love how you pronounce Kimi. You say Kimi. Yep. Which is which is maybe more accurate. I don't know. I think it is, but I could be wrong. <laughs> they say Valtteri. It's almost like it's two syllables instead of Valtteri. Valtteri. Uh, but enough about the past. Let's talk about the future. We are going to the Hungara ring, which doesn't really stick out in my mind. Uh, does it to you? Uh, only as a track I don't enjoy very much, uh, in, in the Formula One series. Uh, it's Hmm. a, it's a very tricky track. Uh, it, it always feels very it it feels small uh not just in terms of lap time but in terms of it's very it's a very twisty technically demanding track which which is good that's fine that's whatever uh but the problem is if you look at uh the runoff areas around these corners and exiting these corners they're not very wide at all like you don't have uh you know any kind of expanses of gravel uh, or like tarmac where you can go just sweep through and regain the track like if you overcook it and go off it's probably retirement uh and so there's that makes it really tricky like it disincentivizes disincentivizes risk taking and with this track layout it's already going to be hard enough overtaking uh because you don't you you generally don't have the uh combinations of like long flat out sections and then uh really like you know hard turns to that sort of promote overtaking yeah so, not a lot of yeah. places where danny rick can come from out of nowhere and dive bomb you yeah exactly well i mean but he might give it a try on this track let's <laughs> let's see uh, he might that's why uh, we love him the the formula one website actually did a really good um like a a a preparation for this track with with stats and stuff uh, a preview that's what i was looking for um <clears throat> and they're kind of saying that it's not a quote power track that there are a lot of corners and only one big straight um and that they expect red bull thusly to do well because they're better in the corners with the arrow uh whereas mercedes and ferrari have the big honking engines that can do well on the straights also they point out that uh the track has well, we've ra- raced at uh the Hungara ring since 1986, which was when uh, Hungary was behind the Iron Curtain, which is super cool. It was the first Grand Prix ever held in a communist country and has raced there uh, every year since, um, which is, it's a, that's a cool, that's a cool stat to have. Um, <clears throat> previous wins uh, last year was Fettel. Uh, 2016 was Hamilton. 2015 was Fettel and 2014 Daniel Ricardo. So there is some precedent for a Ricardo victory. Uh, plus he's got all those brand new engine parts, so everything's totally fine. I'm sure he won't, his engine won't explode again. I'm very curious. This is a track that still has some of those, um, old Schumacher lap records from, uh, the F2004 and F2002. Um, so I'm, I'm very curious to see, uh, yeah, I'm very curious. I'm very, very curious to see if that, uh, F2004 record stands. Most of the others have been falling, but again, with this track layout, do these new cars have the edge on, uh, you know, on sort of the pinnacle of racing from 14 years ago? That's a good question. Uh, tires this weekend are the same as last weekend, medium soft and ultra soft, completely skipping off or skipping uh, the, uh, super soft tires. Um, and it's a track with all the turns and stuff, pretty hard on the tires. We're getting, uh, uh, three out of five tire stress and abrasion. And then we've got, 
uh, four out of five lateral asphalt grip and downforce. 70 laps, a uh, total of 306 kilometers at three or uh, 4.38 kilometers per lap. And yes, Michael Schumacher holds the record at one minute 19.071. So look for that. Uh, on the timing screens to see if it gets eclipsed. Uh, weather at the Hungara Ring uh, looks to be quite balmy. It's 87 degrees Fahrenheit uh, or 31 in the Celsius um, with yeah, same across uh, qualifying day and um, race day. Uh, wind looks to be around between 7 and 8 or nine kilometers an hour, or I'm sorry, miles an hour, and then uh, fourteen um, ish kilometers an hour. Precipitation though, uh, looks like we might have a little bit for race day. We got around race time ten percent, but uh, nothing for qualifying. Humidity fifty six percent on race day, fifty five on qualifying day. Um, so yeah, looks to be probably pretty muggy, but, uh, low chance of precip. Um, standings for the Hungary GP, uh, with (laughs) that crazy German Grand Prix, Lewis Hamilton once again stands atop the leaderboard with his 188 championship points. Sebastian Vettel's got 171. Kimi Räikkönen's down in third with 131. Valtteri Bottas with 122. Danny Rick has 106. Max Verstappen, 105. That's close. Uh, Wow, that's closer than I thought it was going to be. Yeah, I mean, that's what a DNF will do to you. Um Nico Hulkenberg in seventh place with 52, followed by Fernando Alonso with 40, Kevin Magnussen with 39, and Perez rounding out the top 10 with 30. Uh, Ocon's got 29, Sainz has 28, Grosjean, that's a tight battle in the midfield there. Grosjean's got 20, Gasly's got 18, Leclerc uh, in 15th place with 13 points, Stoffel Van Dorn with 8, uh, Erickson's got 5, Stroll has 4, Brandon Hartley with 2, poor old Sergei Sorotkin bringing up the O. Uh, in constructor standings, Mercedes back on top with 310. Ferrari's got 302. Red Bull going into Hungary with uh, 211. Renault in fourth place with 80. Force India's got 59 and is tied with Gene Haas and team. Uh, McLaren's got 48. Scuderia Toro Rosso with 20. Uh, Ferrari with 8. Or I'm sorry, Sauber Ferrari with 18. And Williams Mercedes with Four points. Uh, standings in our fantasy league. Have you been playing the? Have you checked out the fantasy F one thing? No, I didn't even know there was such a thing. Yeah, it's it's you know it's kind of all right. It's it's a um, it's the format where you get a uh, a set dollar amount and then you draft drivers and teams. Okay. So you draft uh, five drivers and then one team. I think. Um, and then you get points based on how they finish in the, that weekend. So we have uh, over 450 people in our uh, F1 league. If you'd like to join us, you, the league invite code, I'm going to say it here, but it, it'll be in the show notes. It's 0B62FE. And again, I'll list it on F1.cool and in your show notes on your phone. But uh, on top is Bobby Gondo Racing, still holding it down. In the top 10, uh, Speedy McCready, number two, Orange BKing F1 is in third place. I can only imagine that stands for Burger King. Uh, followed by Haas Tax Fraud, Bois Party, Maiden Haas, Trendsetters, Scott's Tots, David Coulthard's Chin, and Hypersoft Heist. Uh, meanwhile, I am down in 108th place. The Roman Grosjean of F1 fantasy. <laughs> Truly. Uh, let's take it around the world of racing. We have uh, a lot of fun stuff this weekend. Uh, starting off with Saturday, uh, actually, no, Thursday is when the WRC World Rally Championship kicks off in Finland for the Nest Nesti Rally Finland in, oh boy, Yvalski, Yvalski. Finland. Easy for you to say. <laughs> um, 
Uh, Formula 3 Europe is at Spa. Uh, Formula 2 will be supporting the Hungaroring race uh, on Saturday and Sunday. Uh, We've got Camping World Truck at the Pocono Raceway. Verizon IndyCar Series is at Mid-Ohio for the Honda Indy 200. Um, And let's see what else is here. Uh, NHRA is at uh, Sonoma Raceway for the Toyota Sonoma Nationals. And Rob, it's NASCAR time. Racing at Pocono Raceway. Isn't that where the trucks were? Uh, yeah, this, the trucks go where the NASCARs go a lot of the time. Do the, do the cars ride in the back of the trucks? The trucks haul the haul the cars down there. You know, that's a great question. I I don't know. Maybe. Man, imagine a NASCAR hauling race. Wait, what? Yeah, you know, it's it's NASCAR truck racing, but you got to haul something around that oval, like a trailer. I mean, NASCAR that's it. the only way they could get more truck lack. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> That'd be the final form of NASCAR truck racing. <laughs> Well, this Sunday at the Pocono Raceway, maybe you can take a gander at that because it's the Gander Outdoors 400. God, that's not real, right? Oh, yeah. The Gander Outdoors 400. We have had a lot of great names so far this year. Gander Outdoor. Okay, awesome. Oh, good. It's a guy with a gun on the homepage. Well, <laughs> did you hear me say it was NASCAR? Yeah, the brand is strong. <laughs> uh, hey, we're on Twitter. You can follow us there at, at ShiftF1 Podcast for show updates and any fun F1 stuff we run across. I am at Drew Scanlon. Danny O'Dwyer is at Danny O'Dwyer. Rob Zachney? At Rob Zachney. Well, there you go. Uh, Shoutouts this week go to Josh Melnick, Daniel Putz, and Matthew Lowry, and many more for linking us to uh, a picture of Billy Monger, the uh, Formula 4 driver who lost both of his legs in an accident uh, and is now back racing, not only getting a podium, but channeling Daniel Ricciardo and doing not a shoey, but a leggy. Oh, my God. It is an amazing photo. We will link that in the show notes. Uh, as always, uh, by the way, my, uh, Hungarian at the top of the show meant it is raining, uh, which, you know, it's not, but, um, it would have been apt for Germany. Yes. Uh, as always, you can find our show notes on F1.cool and in your podcast app until next time. I am Drew Scanlon. He is Rob Zachney. Uh, if you want to support the show, we are both uh, that is me and Danny are on Patreon. Danny at patreon.com slash no clip. Me at patreon.com slash cloth map. Uh, anything else, Rob? Oh, just, uh, you know, you can always read what I'm up to over at uh, waypoint.vice.com and uh, listen to our show at Waypoint Radio. Awesome. Thank you so much for, uh, for joining me here. Um, oh, thanks for having me on. It's a blast. As you can tell, I do not get a chance to talk about this too often. Doesn't it feel great to just release the floodgates? Yeah, just just really like run a tape recording for an hour, fifteen minutes about F one. <laughs> uh, that's I think that's why we do our podcast. We just have to vent it somehow. Uh, but uh, until next time, have a good race weekend, everyone. We will see you all next time.